If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I think that uh, we should just start by apologizing in advance for this episode because we, uh, we, we went to dinner with some friends and we had a few cocktails and then after dinner you ordered a, an entire basket of donuts and so I'm full of beer and donuts and uh-huh. I feel very Canadian right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to wait and record this episode mm-hmm. in the morning, but Kat's like, no, it'll be great. And Kat is sitting across from me right now with a half gallon of ice cream and a large salad spoon. Here's the thing though, is that if you were actually feeling Canadian, you wouldn't be so snarky right now. I'd be very, You'd very be much polite, more polite. Much more polite. So, Good point. Yeah, okay. you're welcome. All right. Let's let's not act as though we've never recorded an episode ever so slightly within the bag. <laughs> ever so slightly, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is a whole different level of Disagree. in the bagness. Disagree. All right. So here's... Do you want me to go first? No. No, I want to get it done before I pass out. Are okay. you ready? I'm ready. I'm okay. excited. <clears throat> Here we go. In the summer of 1858, specifically the months of June and July, the population of London suffered greatly. Due to what is now referred to as the Great Stink of 1858. No! Proper disposal of human waste had become an increasingly difficult problem. Yeah, there was a real issue during that time. And it started long before that medieval period, in fact. Medieval. Medieval. Period, in fact. As the population of cities grew, so did the challenge of the disposal of waste Mm -hmm. created by thousands of people concentrated in one particular area or city. Yeah, and the the go-to was just toss it out your window it, into the street. It was. And since London is known as one of the largest cities on earth dating back to Roman times, the biggest problem was 
in London. And waste treatment was a problem from the very start of of civilization. Hygiene wasn't really important uh, in the Middle Ages. And as you said, people would, they would go to the bathroom in their chamber pots or coffee cans or... It was probably coffee cans. Whatever they had at the time. And then they would just empty them out of the windows of their homes. Right. Along with the bathwater. But fingers crossed, not the baby. This led to rivers of human excrement flowing (laughs) through the ditches of streets in London. (laughs) And it's interesting that etiquette today, it tells us that when a man and a woman walk along a sidewalk, the man is supposed to walk on the outside. And that dates back to this period. And that's the reason why. Because guys would be expected to endure the shit storm. See, here's the thing is, I don't think that outside of learning about the waste disposal issues in old cities, (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard the rule that men are supposed to walk on the outside. Oh, it's common etiquette. I know that when I'm walking my dog, I walk on the outside so that if there's a car coming too close, then I will get struck before the dog does. (laughs) It's the same principle, only with poop. Of course, London wasn't the only place that suffered from rivers of poo in the streets. In fact, if you visit Liberty Square at Disney World, Mm -hmm. you'll notice along the streets, there are areas of brown paving stones that look like a stream. They kind of wave in and out. The brown walkway. Right. This is a reference to the streams of human shit that flowed in the streets of colonial America. I know that Disney is not for everyone, but... There are a lot of fun details, and the river of poop is one of them. Yes. Along with just emptying their shit pots out the windows of upstairs apartments in the morning, some of the fancier dwellers had toilet rooms or privies during these times. Unfortunately, the pipe would just end midair. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. We've talked about that. Like, in the castles, they had those outward pipes that kind of just stopped yeah and so it would just be piles of poo or they would dig giant holes only the fancy people the fancy people had had holes had giant holes yeah the pipe would just end midair and as you were pooping uh the poop would just fall on the ground or perhaps a neighbor's roof see the thing is like i never want anyone to know when i'm going sure and in that situation everyone would know well and, and your neighbors would get to know like whose poop was whose and they would be like, Oh well that's a that's a loose one. Yeah. That, that must be JG's. It landed on my gazebo. Um <laughs> Oh my god. This is so gross. And that's clearly a violation of the homeowners association. Right. No parking your pickup truck in the front yard and no pooping on the gazebo. In those days there was a very unique vocation uh in London. The title was Night soil collector. Uh, This was a job that only the lowest people of society were willing to do. In the evening, people would, you know, they would fill up their chamber pots. And then in the morning, the night soil collector would come around with his poop cart. Bring out your poop. And then they would empty the chamber pots into the poop cart. Isn't night soil uh, an eloquent way to refer to pots of shit? It is. Now, here's something kind of like a boo effect. Yeah? I didn't know this until I was researching it. Interestingly, night night soil collectors were also known as gold finders. 
Not so much because they sifted through poop for gold, but they believed that emptying the chamber pots of local nobles gave them first dibs on any gold jewelry that may have fallen into the castle privies. Oh, I see. Well, that must have been an incentive. You know, there probably weren't a lot of incentives for someone to perform this particular occupation. It was like a poop coupon. A poupon, if you will. So at least people stopped dumping their shit in the streets. However... Where did the night soil collector dispose of his carts full of human waste? Well, much of it was used to fertilize farmland. Gross. I know, but that's what they did. But that didn't even begin to put a dent in the sheer volume of uh, collected waste. So the next best thing was to dump it in the river. Or a stream. Sure. Or a stream that led to a river. Probably the River Thames. The River Thames in London became everyone's go-to sewer source. Since the 1600s and even before, Londoners had been dumping human waste in the river. Oh, jeez. As well as animal carcasses, pretty much anything they wanted to get rid of. So, by the mid-1800s, it had been two, three hundred years, the waste in the river was hundreds of years old and was described as, quote, alive. Alive? That's what contemporary papers referred to it as. Everything came to a head in the summer of 1858. It was excessively hot that summer in London, and it's said that the heat literally boiled up the filth from the river. It became so bad that you couldn't even walk by the river without uh, becoming physically ill. Many people just passed out. No, no. The Thames at the time was described as, quote, an oozing fluid composed of human excrement, industrial waste, animal carcasses, rubbish, dead fish, muck, and who knows what else. And they, this continued to be like a good idea. Let's continue adding to this situation. It just, it seems like at some point you'd go like, oh, this isn't working out great. Yeah, well, it took them, you know, 250, 300 years. Uh, and it wasn't until the summer of 1858 that uh, the problem became so pronounced. The Chancellor of the Exchequer, Benjamin Disraeli, famously said, quote, The noble river, so long the pride and joy of Englishmen, which has hitherto been associated with the noblest feats of our commerce and the most beautiful passages of our poetry, has become a stagnant pool reeking with ineffable and intolerable horrors. The public health is at stake. Almost all living things that existed in the waters of the Thames have disappeared or been completely destroyed. A very natural fear has arisen that the living beings along its banks may share the same fate. There is a pervading apprehension of pestilence in this great city. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't in there, I just added it. Sure, the Right. So in July and August of 1858, the heat was unbearable in the city of London, and so was the stink. And it was the stink that got people's attention. Not so much the fact that uh, for 250, 300 years, people had been dumping, you know, shit in their rivers. And I'm sorry, real quick, where were they getting their drinking water from? The river. Many people decided something needed to be done. But 
There were many major health issues long before the great stink of 1858 that should have alerted them to the issue, namely cholera outbreaks. Right. The first London cholera outbreak happened in 1832. It claimed about 20,000 lives across Britain, 6,500 in London alone. In 1848, the second cholera outbreak occurred, and it uh, claimed twice as many victims as the previous outbreak. Yeah, it was ramping up. And then there was the third cholera outbreak. That was in 1853 through 1854. People suffered all over Britain, but London suffered the most. Nearly 11,000 people died in London alone. And of course, this was due largely to the poor sanitation and living conditions and uh, the extreme foulness of the Thames River. See, I think about sometimes the standards that I have for certain things. You don't even like having to drive somebody else's car. Mm -mm, No, let alone drink someone else's poop water. At this time, the most impoverished people lived closest to the river. Of course they did. You know, the poor people need to live closest to the poop. And uh, they needed help badly. In fact, they wrote to the London Times newspaper pleading for help. Quote, we live in muck and filth. We ain't got no privies, no dustbins, no water supplies, no drain or sewer in the whole place. If cholera comes, God help us. Even though London was bearing the brunt of the problem because of the extremely poor condition of the Thames, people all over Britain were aware of the issue, and many had similar problems. Glasgow, for example, was called possibly the filthiest and unhealthiest of all British towns. And at the time, because of the sewage and waste disposal problems, it was predicted, check this out, that 50% of all children would die before the age of five. Wow. That's serious. You've heard of Michael Faraday, English chemist and physicist. He proposed a complete reformation of the toxic river. And so he could better demonstrate the urgency of the situation. He took a boat ride across the oozing body of filth. Can you even boat across that? Because I imagine it's chunky. It is, especially when you factor in the dead carcasses. Oh, stop with the carcasses. He then wrote a letter to the government describing what he saw. He said the Thames was, quote, an opaque, pale brown fluid, and it was nothing more than a real sewer. Public pressure was increasing on the government, and at this point, the unbearable rotting stench had reached the Palace of Westminster. And so now the royal family was starting to smell bad things, and Parliament leapt into action. Oh, see, once they had been affected. Right. Right. 250 years later. Right. Now, keep this in mind. This had been an issue for hundreds of years, but when Parliament finally decided to act... It took just 18 days to create, sign, and pass into law a bill that would completely refurbish the affected regions of the river, Mm -hmm. which was pretty much most of the river, or all of the river. So after hundreds of years of improper waste disposal, London was about to receive a modern sewage system. What was the plan? Well, it was designed by an English civil engineer named... Kevin? No, Sir Joseph Baselgett. Huh. And this was no small proposal. This new sewage system that he designed for London would stretch over 
1,100 miles, or about 1,800 kilometers. It included pipes above and below the streets and the creation of two embankments. The two embankments were regarded at the time as a major feat of civil engineering. That allowed them to uh, reclaim the marshy, polluted areas on the sides of the Thames, as well as create drainage for the sewer systems. The creation just of those two embankments alone cost an estimated 1.71 million pounds at the time. What? Making it the most costly civil engineering project in the history of London. That didn't include the building of the sewer pipe system. That took several more years. But when it was done, it was considered a marvel. It was built in such a way 150 years ago that even to this day it's being used and it's still pretty effective. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Once the sewer and waste disposal system was completed, it only took a few years for the Thames River to clean itself. It healed itself. It's now considered to be one of the cleanest rivers in the world. It's the home of about 125 different species of fish and 400 species of invertebrates. But even so, it's still not considered completely swimmable. In fact, if you go in there, you might get what locals call Thames tummy. What the hell does that mean? You get nauseous and you throw up and it's accompanied with a high fever, but you don't necessarily. It's like cholera light. Oh my gosh. It's been 150 years. (laughs) The next time I don't feel well, I'm going to be like, I got the Thames tummy. (laughs) And because they're still using this 150-year-old sewer system, the Thames still does receive raw sewage. No. From time to time. Stop it. It's routinely pumped out into the river during heavy rains. The reason is because when they when they designed the system, it was designed to mix sewage and rainwater. And when there's a heavy storm, the sewage system becomes overrun with stormwater. Like there's overflow. Right. Then the overflow is pumped into the river through 57 existing sewer overflow pipes. So even though much progress has been made, it's still estimated. It's 2022, guys. It's still estimated that around 39 million tons of mixed sewage, wastewater, and rainwater is pumped into the river every year. No, uh, not cool. The good news is help's on the way. Currently, a 16-mile super sewer is under construction. Ooh, that sounds fun. It's got a fancy name, too. It's called the Thames Tideway Tunnel. It's being constructed at 24 different sites that run from West London all the way through Beckton, which is just past the Thames River. That's amazing. It's a highly modern sewer design, and it's expected to solve the remaining waste disposal problems. The sewer project is a lot more expensive than the one that was built 150 years ago. That was like 1.71 million pounds. Um, Today, this project is about 6 billion pounds, which is 6.78 billion U.S. dollars. And the date of completion is 2024. Wow. And even though this will once again greatly improve the quality of the water in the Thames, it will never return to its natural, pristine condition. Uh, But at the very least, London will never have to relive conditions similar to the ones of the Great Stink of 1858. Wow. Uh, Congratulations, you guys. My source material was the London Times, Ancient Origins, Wikipedia, and Fancy Papers IPA. (laughs) 
I think that you did great. Glad I went first. And now, that thing in the middle. You might be surprised at how much scientists can learn from studying fossils. For example, in 2015, scientists were studying the 33.9 million year old fossil of a bat that was so incredibly detailed that the shape of melanin, a type of pigment, was perfectly preserved. Based on the shape of the melanin fossil, they were able to determine that this bat that lived millions and millions of years ago was reddish brown in color. When all the other podcasts get together at a dinner party, we're the podcast that sits with our legs crossed by the fireplace and listens politely. This is The Box of Oddities. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is... Well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Support for the Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We got a message from Claire on Facebook and I just have to share it. Is it about how we should never... uh drink a lot of beer and eat donuts before we record an episode. (sighs) OMG, Claire writes, currently catching up on episodes. Just listen to box 223. The beginning started with JG reading about a nonverbal child saying, got for me to his mom. Oh, I remember that. I was in tears. It also reminded me of a little student I had. I'm a preschool teacher and I work with toddlers. They're 16 to 24 months old. One of my students was nonverbal. At his age, he should have been saying mama, daddy, bye-bye, etc. Any hoozle, he was not saying anything. One day, I was singing a song during circle time. He walked up to me, pointed at me, and said, no. 
I laughed <laughs> yeah. and cried I'm at with, the same time. I'm with you, kid. I'm definitely not a great singer, but I didn't think I was that bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Thanks so much, Claire. So I'm hoping you have a story for me because... Um, You're I mean, all done with the talk talk. I'm done with the talk talk times. <laughs> okay. Um, Do it, girl. I believe in you. Wish me luck. Okay. All right. So Evelyn on TikTok sent me a message and said, this should absolutely be a topic. And I was like, yes, absolutely. I'm on board. So I read about it. I was excited. And we started recording. You might have recall that we yeah. started recording. It happened just a little while ago. Sure. I, re- I you remember. Were here. Yeah. Right. Um, so then while we were recording this episode, a message came in from Ashley requesting that same topic. Oh, my God. It's like I had my own boo effect. In real life. Anyway, thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Evelyn. Today, we're talking about the well of hell. Wow. Now, let's go to Yemen in the Al-Mahara province. Other than the fact that Yemen is in the midst of a civil war, I really don't know that much about Yemen. I remember there was that episode of Friends where Chandler said he was going to Yemen. But, I mean, really, I don't know that much about Yemen. I, I All I know is that uh, there was a fundraiser. Yeah, it was called Yemenade. Do you remember that? Oh, that was a dream I had. Go ahead. So in the Al-Mahara province... In the desert, there's nothing going on for some time until there's a hole. And this hole is about 98 feet in diameter. It's got an eerily circular entrance, and it's very deep. What What is, I've never heard anything described as eerily circular. It was so circular that it was eerie? Yeah, because it's a natural hole. Oh, okay. All right. But it's circular. It's a hole. It's a perfectly circular hole. Ah, a perfect circle. Great band. Anyway, over the centuries, stories have circulated about dark supernatural figures known as jinns living in the well. Many residents nearby remain very uneasy visiting the area of the well. Locals believe it to be a prison of dark spirits sheltered by unbearable odors that come from its entrails. Sounds like the streets of London in the mid-1800s. It kind of does. Many are even reticent to discuss it at all for fear of ill fortune just from talking about this chasm, which legend has it is a threat to humankind. Superstition says that like a black hole, objects near this well can be sucked toward it, become lost forever to the malignant spirits that reside within. Also, people claim that they've heard voices or screaming coming from the well of hell. Others claim that the gaping hole is a supervolcano capable of destroying the whole earth. Well, that's a bummer. I have a beer and some donuts to finish. So it's hard to tell exactly how or when sinkholes form, according to Philip Van Banen, a sinkhole expert at the University of South Florida, which I think is an amazing job title, sinkhole expert. Unless it occurs when people live at the site and record the event, then it's almost impossible. 
The naturally occurring sinkhole is likely millions of years old, according to the French press agency, and the mysteries surrounding it have been around for centuries. Until recently, it was unknown even how deep the WOH, which I'm referring to it now as the woe. The woe hole. Did you just say the woe hole? Yeah, make your own joke there. Okay. Insert your own snappy comeback. So there's little oxygen and no ventilation, according to Salah Babher, who's the director general of Mahara's Geological Survey and Mineral Resources Authority. Babher says, we've gone to visit the area and entered the well, reaching more than 50 to 60 meters into it. We've noticed strange things inside. We also smelled something strange. It's a mysterious situation. Hmm. Amateur cave explorers have entered the sinkhole as well. But until now, nobody was known to have made it all the way to the bottom. Even sunlight doesn't extend far into the structure and little can be seen from the edge. But now we know the woe is about... 667 feet deep. Now that, that goes down a bit. Or 112 meters. It's been explored by the Oman Cave Exploration Team, who reached the bottom September 15, 2021. Wow. So up until last year, nobody had reached the bottom of this hole. What did they find? Ten explorers from the Omani Caves Exploration Team explored the well using a pulley system that lowered eight of the members to the bottom, while the remaining two stayed on top, which I would think was outrageous that eight of them got to go down. And if I was one of the two stuck on top, I would be like, yeah, this is the same thing I saw yesterday when we were here, (laughs) not in the well. It seems like maybe it should have been the other way around. Two go down, eight stay on top, just to make sure that they get back up. I I disagree. I think everyone goes down. (laughs) No safety precautions whatsoever. Pish, let's go. The goal of the expedition was to make the first documented study of the sinkhole. Geologist and caver Muhammad Al-Kindi was the first to make the descent. Al-Kindi had made two unsuccessful attempts at the drop before. As soon as I went down, he said, the first 30 meters, I could see details of the cave, its formations. I would be able to see if there were wild animals or crocodiles specifically, he adds with a laugh. Apparently, uh, a few of the locals had warned him that they were crocodiles that uh, lived in the well. Okay. While the opening at the top of the sinkhole is about, as I said, 98 feet across, the cave widens to 380 feet at its base. Al-Kindi says it was a very happy moment just going down, enjoying the scene, taking in the views of the cave. That is, until he reached the end of his rope about 50 feet above the cave floor. Oh, no. Luckily, he says, I had a walkie-talkie with me, and I called up and asked for a longer rope to be sent down. Can you just go ahead and send me down an extra 50? Thanks. Once to the bottom, a whole ecosystem became visible to the team. There were waterfalls. Oh. There were cave formations like stalagmites, some reaching 30 feet tall. Oh, my God. Gray and green cave pearls formed by dripping water. So cave pearls are not something that I really knew much about, but they form from the minerals inside the dripping water. The thing is, cave pearls aren't super common because the nucleus 
or the thing that those minerals in the water grab onto Mm -hmm. has to be completely still and it has to be on a flat surface. So they can only form on the part of the cave floor that's completely flat. Otherwise, it won't grow in a pearl shape. So are they valuable? Like a rare? I mean, no. I mean, okay. they're they're cave formations. Right, so fine. I guess I'd like to have one. They're not that rare. But I don't think you're going to put them on a necklace. Okay. There were toads, snakes, some nearly transparent, beetles, lizards, and birds. Transparent snakes. Transparent snakes. Yeah. That's nightmare fuel. No, I mean that's fine. Alkindi says that most of the cave smells fine. Except for certain areas. And that, yeah, is because there were some animals that had died down there. They fell or just wandered in somehow? Possible. You know, some animals are just going to fall into the well. That's not going to be a great situation for them. Some birds are going to fly in and not be able to get out. Sure. Bats, I would think. Sure. I don't know. But they die. Transparent snakes. And then they decompose, and it does not smell great. Outside of the well, at one point during the dive... Descent. Thank you. At one point during the descent, about 80 locals had gathered to watch the cavers. At first, they were full of warnings. So when Al Kindi was going down, they were like, no, 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 you don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. There's going to be crocodiles. You're probably going to die. And then when he resurfaced unharmed, they gathered around asking about what he had seen. So he answered all their questions. He showed them photos and gave them samples of the water that he took from below. Now, a lot of people believed that the water that would be in that cave would be poisonous. Obviously, right, right. you will die. It's yeah. it's filled with genies. And transparent snakes. And transparent snakes. But Al-Kindi ha- drank a bottle of that water, and he <laughs> said, I'm just fine, which is a, maybe a little beyond where I would have gone with <laughs> That's that. way beyond. Yeah. Did he immediately go back to his hotel and shit out his kidneys? He had the Thames tummy, for sure, but he was okay. <laughs> As news of the expedition spread... He said that the findings have started to really reassure people. You know, when you learn more about anything that's unknown, the superstitions start to kind of go away and you just start to understand the area better. So there's no reason to make up these terrible stories about the scary things that are unknown. And in learning more, samples of rocks, the soil, the water, The dead animals found within the cave were collected for further analysis. So they're still learning about what it was they found within that cave. Now, as I said, one of the things uh, that the one of the only things that I knew about Yemen was that they were in the middle of a humanitarian crisis. They've got a civil war going on. And the fear surrounding this well and the concerns that going within it was going to bring Yemen bad luck or bring them some sort of evil, really, Yemen doesn't need any more of that bad luck. They've got enough going on. It's terrible. The United Nations says that Yemen is suffering the world's worst humanitarian crisis. So, yeah, they're in the midst of a civil war. And according to UNICEF, since the conflict escalated in March 2015, the country's become a living hell for the country's children. Less than half of health facilities in the country are functioning, and many that are operational lack basic equipment. Around 21 million people are in need of humanitarian assistance, including more than 11 
million children. At least 10,000 children have been killed or maimed since the beginning of the conflict. Thousands more have been recruited into the fighting. An estimated 2 million children are internally displaced. Nearly 2.3 million children under the age of five are suffering from acute malnutrition. Oh, my God. So there is evil happening in Yemen, but it's not in this well. I got most of my information from Live Science, Atlas Obscura, India Today, of course, Wikipedia, and um, UNICEF, which is a great resource if you want to learn more about the humanitarian crisis in Yemen, or if you would like to make a donation and learn how you can help the children of Yemen. Anyway, sorry I brought that down. I know it was a fun story about a creepy well, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't learn all that that stuff about Yemen and not share it. I get that. I started researching a topic called the Great Stink of 1858 and ended up, you know, it's like an environmental disaster. That's so, true. But the word stink made me laugh. Anyway, uh, thanks for hanging out with us. We should probably end this before uh, any more damage is done. Yep. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. <laughs> <laughs> Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. Hick. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. This new sewage system that he designed for London would stretch, would st- <laughs> the embankments were, <laughs> were regarded as, <laughs> uh, but at the very least, London will never have to relive, <laughs> London will never have to relive, <laughs> London will never have to, <laughs>